Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, a roundtable-style spinoff from Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month about motorcycle travel. And on this episode, episode 95, we are discussing, is it even possible to make good food while camping by motorcycle? And how do you keep your bike and gear safe when you park it anywhere? All that and more coming up. Before we get going, I want to give a shout out to some people who have helped the show incredibly, Adventure Rider Radio and Raw, this past month with support of $50 or more. Here it goes. Christian Campman, Mitchell Cohen, Michael George, Mark Lobezo, Paul Glasson, and John Bassi from Emmaus Moto Tours. It's really great to have people that appreciate what we're doing with Adventure Rider Radio and Adventure Rider Radio Raw by supporting the show. And anything $50 or more gets you a shout out on the show like you just heard me do, as well as stickers. Anything $10 or more gets you Adventure Rider Radio stickers for your pannier, your toolbox. And we would really appreciate it, really appreciate it if you would consider our monthly support through our patron program. It has the benefits of stickers and more. Drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com and click on support. Now, just in case Raw is a new discovery for you, we do another show every week, the flagship show called Adventure Rider Radio. So drop by our website and see what's happening. AdventureRiderRadio.com. Now, here we go. Adventure Rider Radio Raw for December 2023. <laughs> That's a big one. Please stop, Tim. I Right, right. <laughs> Recorded live from the Canoe West Media Studio deep in the wild forests of North America, this is Adventure Rider Radio Raw, roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind, completely unscripted, raw, and personal. My name is Jim Martin, and today the virtual roundtable afforded through the magic of the internet, and I really think it is the magic of the internet in particular. In this one, I am joined by all of our esteemed Overland co-hosts. I'm going to start off with Michelle Lampfair because Michelle is bouncing around in a dinghy somewhere in the Pacific Ocean, I think. Are you in the Pacific Ocean? I'm not. I'm in the Atlantic. How did you get over there? Close, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I started that way. We, we, um, I crossed the Atlantic, did a lap around Africa, and now I'm back in the Atlantic and heading a sort of in the direction of home. Yeah, but when you say Atlantic, that's sort of just the other side of the Pacific though, right? So it's kind of right. Um, no, but nice try. <laughs> <laughs> so so you're bobbing around on a ship with, um, you know, what, 20 of your your good friends there and, uh, and exploring. What, what has it been like so far for you? Yeah, something like that. Um, it, the, the ship has been amazing and the adventure in Africa, it's very different for me because it's not motorcycle centric, but it has been an incredible adventure. Um, yeah, I've got lots of stories to share and maybe sometime when I have better internet, I'll, I'll be able to share some of those. Mm, But in the meantime, just suffice it to say, because all of the travelers that are here at the table today, I think everybody knows I'm, I'm having a great time exploring, um, Africa. It's, it's been incredible. Have you come across any motorcyclists that are traveling and sort of tried to, you know, chum up with them and say, Hey, I, you know, I'm one of you too, because you're on this cruise ship. Yeah, believe it or not, um, I actually have a few friends who are, who are traveling through Africa as we speak, and I had hoped to meet up with a friend from Montana, Luke Moxness, and he's traveling um, sort of kind of in the re- reverse direction. I think he started in Morocco, and we were hoping to meet up either in Mongolia, or excuse me, in Ghana or in Angola, um, mm. but he 
his timeline didn't match up with mine. And mine, of course, is a very narrow window of, you know, ports of call that's scheduled and I don't have any flexibility. So unfortunately, um, I wasn't able to meet up with him. But there were several other motorcycle travelers who either are traveling um, by motorcycle at the moment. I also tried to hopefully meet up with um, um, El Sebi and Miknus in uh, Cape Town when I was in Cape Town, but unfortunately we couldn't put that together. Oh. I just, again, had such a, a tight window of time and no transportation because when I arrive in a port, I've got, um, you know, a limited number of hours and, and I'm traveling with a companion. So I, I just wasn't able to make that work. So oh, yeah, a couple of missed opportunities, but I'm still having fun. And, and I know there's lots of travelers out there enjoying Africa at the moment and they're inspiring all the rest of us that aren't able to do that right now. You, are you talking about you that aren't able to do something right now? Are you feeling bad? Yeah, <laughs> <Right now. laughs> I am. I, I am. I'm so tempted. I never thought I'd say this because I, Africa is incredible, but it's also intimidating to me in some ways, especially if I'm looking at solo travel. Uh. But I have to say, after having been here, I can see how tempting it is. And I'm so excited to plan a motorcycle adventure. And, and I think... Africa's kind of, it's moving up my wish list really rapidly. Oh, that's interesting yes. how, how um, a, a different kind of vacation sort of inspires you to get on the motorcycle. That's, that's really neat. Yes, I think so too. Yeah. Well, let's bring in Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks in Australia. Bright eyed and bushy tailed first thing in the morning. Good morning to the both of you. <sighs> Uh, I think you've got us confused with people who are awake. I'm just trying to paint a good picture here, Shirley, that's all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's very early, but um, it's, and it's hot, 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 but we can't complain. It's summer and that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. We had about, uh, in the language of Fahrenheit, about 110 yesterday. Oh, wow. Uh, and overnight, well, I don't know, it's about uh, 22 in Celsius, wasn't it, last night? Yeah. It was so it's pretty warm. warm, pretty warm, but it's the land of contrast. Up north in Queensland, they're battening down for a cyclone to hit today, uh, today which oh. will, they're saying will bring about 500 millilitres of rain. Um, so, you know, we've got that. Last week we had snow up on the mountains. And, um, and yesterday there was fog and fog, 30 yeah. car pile up on a highway in the middle of the day. Yeah. yeah. Go wow. figure. You're getting quite wow. a quite a bit of weather there. Oh, the, no. the, the cyclone, oh. is that a, just a seasonal thing that's expected each year? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, it's cyclone yeah, season up the far north. Yeah, in the far north, but it's um, this one's seem to be giving quite a few warnings in relation to it. So it seems to be building pressure up as it uh, hits landfall again, which is unusual. But they were um, talking to a caravan park owner this morning who said most people had left, but there were some tourists who thought they'd stay as a bit of adventure. <laughs> so when their caravans are sideways, I'm hoping they enjoy their adventure. Yeah, but surely it makes great video for YouTube. There's just no doubt about it. <laughs> I mean, you got to love watching those videos. They're great. And it takes those people who stay behind to get those shots. <laughs> Good point. Let's bring in uh, Grant Johnson, who's in British Columbia, Canada. Hello, Grant. Hello, everybody. I've got absolutely fantastic weather here. It's crystal clear, not a cloud in the sky which is an amazing change from what we've been having. And I got my last ride of the season out about a week ago. Other than breaking through the ice and the puddles and the crispy ground, it was a great ride, good end to the season, but I'm really bummed that I can't just keep riding through the snow. 
Uh-huh. There's snow on the mountains here now. So anyway, I'm looking forward to a good winter getting some bikes worked on. I've got four bikes in the garage, all of which need servicing and work and effort. And However, that's the fun part, right? Yeah, well, that's part of the fun. It keeps you motivated, doesn't it? And, and oh, yes, it's it nice, does. It's nice to get those little things done that you sort of avoid during riding season because you just want to ride. Yes. And unfortunately, there's one or two that need a little more than a little bit of maintenance. They need some significant work, but that's okay. That's, they've been crying for a long time. So I guess it's time to answer their cries. Oh, so I'll get it done. It's not that you've just beaten them because I'm saying you're, I'm thinking you're one person. I mean, what have you done to these four bikes? How can you be so rough on them? <laughs> it's called abandonment. Oh, Park yeah. it in the corner and don't touch it for years. Oh, that'll do it. <laughs> I'll definitely do it. But that's okay. Let's bring in Sam Manicom, who is in the UK. Hello, Sam. Uh, hi, Jim. Hi, everybody. Um, we, as we're talking weather, it's actually not bad here tonight. Um, we've had lots of really, really heavy rain and high winds over the last few weeks. But um, yeah, it's, it's quite a pleasant um, winter's evening here. And yes, in comparison to last time, um, the heating is now on and it's it's very nice. But oh, right. Yeah. I, I know. I know, you know, so I, I shelled out and it had to be done. Um, but Jim, can I just make a point of thanking everybody who came over to say hello at Motorcycle Live? Oh, um, yeah, that's, that's a good idea. I, for, I forgot about Motorcycle Live, of course. I mean, it was a huge thing. What, what is it, nine days or something? It's nine, nine days where it's open to the public. Um, so you've got the setup days and all of that sort of stuff. Amazing. Uh, beforehand, but nine days. Um, and I just, I just loved it. It was absolutely brilliant. And in part... Um, I was blown away by how many listeners to Adventure Rider Radio and Raw actually stopped off to say hello. Um, nice. You guys were just a huge part of, of making the show such a blast to be at. And the record on one of the days was 27 people that came over to say hello. And that's absolutely fantastic. But one I owe an apology to. Um, we were in the midst of a conversation when I was asked to sign a book. And when I turned back, he discreetly left me to it. Um, so you know who you are. Thank you for that. And apologies. And I hope our paths cross again, perhaps at the Adventure Bike Rider Festival in June next year, a proper conversation next time. Um, and in the meantime, cheers, everybody, for stopping off and saying hello. Um, yeah, fantastic. Wow, that's great. That's a, And it must have been great fun. But I'll bet after nine days of doing that on your feet every day, talking to people through, I don't know how long the day is, but it's got to be a long day. You've got to be somewhat beat afterwards. Yeah, I mean, this year it was, um, I, I was last there a couple of years back and back then um, the show would normally start at nine o'clock and end at six um, at weekends. And um, during the week you'd start at um, 10 um, and end at six um, or five, depending on what was going on. Um, but this year they actually cut the hours to 10 till five and that made a massive difference. Um, so, you know, we're sort of in there at eight o'clock getting everybody, everything filled up and sorted and redisplayed and, um, meeting friends, people that you don't see from one show to the next. And that is one of the things that I like is just linking up with the other exhibitors and so on. Um, so that first hour is really busy time, but, um, then yeah, you're on your feet. Um, and quite often you don't get to even eat, um, lunch until sort of three or four o'clock in the afternoon, just because you've been so busy. Although mm. if it does turn quiet, I do get a sandwich out, take a mouthful, and then all instantly we got lots of people around. So um, that, that kind of works. But um, yeah, my voice, after nine days of talking pretty much solid, I ended up walking away from it with a very gravelly um, voice. I was tempted to get myself um, a job as a late night DJ 
you know, those ones that have got this really gravelly deep voice and mm-hmm. they sort of talking smoothly through the night, I would have done that naturally. And you would have had the right mannerism for it at that point after being run for nine days like that. You'd be slow and drawn out. That's the one. That's mm. the one. No. But I mean, it's it's great fun and it is a very special show. Um, it was a real privilege to be there. And I'd like to give um, a shout out to um, Cliff and Jenny from the Adventure Bike Shop for inviting me to uh, go and book sign with them. And, um, oh, yeah, that's great. So, so they let you come and you sort of set up with them at their booth? They um, invite me as the um, guest author um, nice. and then I run their book section for them too. So whatever books they've got in stock, then they go on the shelves and I can introduce those to people. But um, I also had books from other authors, uh, many of whom have been um, guests on Adventure Rider Radio. So um, it just gave me the opportunity to introduce people's books that um, um, showgoers m- um, might well not have come across yet. Mm-hmm. So it was a nice sharing thing to do. So Sam, as far as the, the people who come up compared to previous years, are, are, are you getting sort of the, maybe the same ratio or are you getting a higher or low ratio, lower ratio of people who are travelers or as opposed to want to be travelers and are, and are sort of looking for information and hungry for, for uh, just finding out more about it? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, the, the first part of the answer to that has to be um, sort of seven years ago, something six, seven years ago, uh, the show was a lot bigger. So um, a lot more people went to it. Mm-hmm. And that meant that you didn't really have time for conversations with anybody um, more than, you know, maybe two or three minutes. Um, and that meant that you, you never found really in-depth information about who you were talking to. Um, you just knew that you were kindred spirits. Now, because the show is a little bit smaller, I mean, COVID obviously um, really played a, a nasty trick on the show and it's still recovering now. Now, of course, there was more time to talk to people so you could find out people who were travellers, people who were planning trips or people who just loved riding bikes and liked to get them off-road and in other countries in the time that they had available. And I guess that was the bigger percentage of people, that, that last mix. But um, I was meeting people who... There was one guy, for example, he'd literally, he and his wife had literally just come back from South America. They'd been back in the UK for about a week. Um, and I would love to have been able to catch up with him um, later on and have a, a proper natter, but um, that sort of thing doesn't happen. But yeah, there were quite a few people who um, were back um, recently from trips or had been in trips within the last 10 years or so. Um, it's a real pleasure to meet guys like that, as well as the, the people who want to. Mm. Um, they're voracious and this is one of the things that I loved about the fact that so many of them were listening to Adventure Rider Radio because the sort of comments that I was getting was we learned so much from everybody and um, you guys on on Raw are completely nuts do you know that (laughs) Um, and and things like this and I just thought that was funny but I think they're serious Sam true (laughs) (laughs) surely Um, you did get quite a few comments about your dry sense of humor by the way Mm. Mm. So being a smart ass works. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. He just said you got comments. <laughs> he left it at that. It nec- this is not necessarily good ones. Yeah, good. <laughs> hey, what's the difference? You know, I mean, if they're talking about you, they're talking about you. Who cares if it's good or bad? That's right. As long as they spell your name right, isn't that the That's isn't right. that all publicity is good publicity? <laughs> exactly. And anyway, listen, they were all um, fine thumbs up comments. 
and that that was really really nice. Wow, that's great. That uh, sounds like a lot of fun, and uh, it's, it's got to be. Great. I know it's work, but it's also not work because you're hanging around talking about what you love, what you live and breathe on a daily basis, and and you're really immersed in it at that point on a show. So I think that's uh, that's got to be that's got to really fuel you as well afterwards. I mean, you like I joke that you're tired when you're done, but also you have to be somewhat invigorated. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's it's the people that you're meeting and the atmosphere of the show that keeps you going. It's it's like a a constant recharge to the battery. Mm-hmm. You're surrounded by kindred spirits, people who love motorcycles and love riding them and love exploring on them. And and that is just a, a huge buzz. Yeah. So wherever you're listening right now, folks, I mean, go to a show, get, get back out there. Don't, <laughs> don't abandon them because of COVID. Get back out there and, and make sure this stuff lives for us, you know, for, for years to come. Because um, by not attending for three or four years, that's enough to kill these things and we, and we won't have them yeah. anymore. Yeah. And once they're gone. Um, oh yeah. 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 You won't get back. And, and it takes so much to put together something like that. And a lot of it is, you know, built over many, many years. So it's, um, it's just the type of thing people aren't really starting anymore. You just have an app for it. That's all you'll have. It's funny. I, just before going up to the show, I dug out all, um, all of my um, exhibitor passes from previous shows. And the first time that I went to the show was about 15 years ago. And back then it was the International Motorcycle Show. Mm. Uh, such a posh name for it. I thought you were going to mention that you're looking at your photographs from 15 years. Oh, well, I was going to say anything about the fact that I had some hair then. <laughs> Moving rapidly on. <laughs> right. Well, we're, uh, we're talking about, uh, this, this is a, a listener question that's come in that we're going to talk about, about cooking on multi-day trips. Shirley, do you want to introduce this? Um, no. <laughs> Shirley. <laughs> Do you want to introduce this? And can, and Jim, can I just tell you the, the main issue I have with this um, question from Alan? Okay. Thank you, Alan, for sending it in, is um, I've never cooked on a multi-day trip. What? <laughs> yes, you have. I have not. When? Oh, no, I cook. Yeah. Um, seriously. <laughs> I admire people who can go camping on a motorcycle and stay in one place for two or three days and eat, but um, I've never managed it really. But so what What? are you saying? You're saying that you don't cook on the bike because you find it just, you can't be bothered to do it or you just, because you're not staying? No, 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 no. As you know, we don't camp all the time, like Mm -hmm. some of our fellow raw co-hosts. Sure. And um, when we do camp, we've camped in some great places in North America and um, Alaska and places like that. But um, staying for two or three days and being able to carry enough food and keep it fresh and things has always just been a bit beyond me. I mean, we have we always carry stuff to use in cooking, like salt and pepper and oil, and um, so we can cook when when we've got the opportunity to. And we were camping with Ken and Carol Duval and they had the great idea of buying a bag of ice so we could keep things fresh um, overnight. The beer cold. And the beer cold. Well, I wasn't going to say the beer cold, but <laughs> keeping things fresh and beer cold. Yeah, it's probably all it was for. That's what mattered. That's what panniers are for, isn't it? <laughs> there was milk in there as well, I'd just like to say. The milk oh, um, for coffee, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or well, for those of us who drink, don't drink coffee. Um yeah, so it's it's um it's a tricky thing, really, okay. for me to introduce Jim. Thanks very much for, for the heads up that you would do that. So, so Brian, we, we carry a little, we carry a little bit. Brian, amongst your luggage, then you 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 carry a, a chef's hat, do you? 
<laughs> yeah. Brian, you, you have, though, cooked a can of beans, right? You, you like, heated up a can of beans. Yeah. Oh, well, oh, we have done that. Yeah, yeah, tuna and stuff like that. And we've got a jet boil that we use every now and then. And, you know, uh, keeping beer cold, it's sometimes a bit of a challenge, so I take whiskey. Right. Yeah, well, Good Brian, night. this is yeah. going a road that we didn't weren't going to go. This is not what it's about keeping beer cold. But so let me, let me just let me just. But pull. we also, Jim, we we've also tried um, dehydrated meals, and oh Lord, um, Brian, could you talk about dehydrated meals? Oh uh, God, yeah, it's we're just getting a share of rain, and Shirley's got something on the line that has to come in. So she's taken off. <laughs> just, just, gone, just gone to the close line. Oh, I like that segue. <laughs> and here's Brian to talk about dehydrated meals. Boom, gone. <laughs> she's gone. She's, I'm watching her run up the stairs. It's very smooth. I'm watching her run up the stairs now. <laughs> okay, um, well, hang on, Brian. I'm, yeah, I'm going to stop you right there. Hang on. Hold your dehydrated thing. I'm taking the talking stick back, okay? I'm just taking it back. Forget it. Forget it. <laughs> Sam, do you, do you want to introduce this? Well, I mean, can I read the notes that yeah. you sent through? Yeah, because- well, just and, and the one, just the one that's unscripted raw. and <laughs> 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 just read that one. I mean, this can is, I, I, of course, isn't a script. This is this is the listener wrote in, and that's what we're reading well, exactly. here. It's very difficult. This is, I think, it was a bad move on my part. Well, I mean, it's, you certainly got plenty of entertainment value. I mean, what have you got? As for dehydrated food, whiskey, beer, um, exactly, pat, pat milk, ice. Yeah. Well, anyway, ice. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and I couldn't work out from um, the notes whether it was Alan or Affen. Affen, Affen. I believe. Yeah. Affen. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Afton, thank you very much for sending this in. Um, what you wrote in um, was, I'm an avid motorcyclist who embarks upon week-long trips at least once a year. While I enjoy cooking at home, I've never quite taken to the idea of cooking at a campground. Many readers carry a full kitchen with pots and pans, cutting boards, gas stoves, silverware, spices and more. In contrast, I tend to pack just a few pouches of fish, I would like to know more about that by the way, Um, and a bag of free-dried food as backup. I also bring along coffee and tea, plus a jet boil. Um, For dinner, I often stop by a gas station or a store before reaching the campground to buy my meal. If I bought chilli or soup or something else warm, then I would store it in a food thermos. I would buy a beer or two and pour it into another thermos to keep keep it cold for a while. I learned that trick from Sterling Norris, and Sterling has some great tips. Um, this approach spares me the needs to wash cookware, a task I'd rather avoid at the end of a long riding day. I've seen others cooking eggs, veggies, pasta, etc., and wonder what they do with leftovers. Is it practical to carry these items to the next day, or do they go to waste? Given my passion for food, I'm always curious about different approaches. So, yeah, what a what a full question. Lots of detail in there. Um, and yeah. Okay. How so are we going to answer this? Thank you, Sam. And let me just point out that there was a line in there. I think it was your second line where you read many riders carry a full kitchen with pots. You meant it, you read it as many readers. <laughs> I thought that's very telling with your mindset being an author. It's, it's, it's funny you should say that, Jim, and it is my fault because, um, when we get a question from, um, a reader and I've worked on my thoughts and that sort of thing, then, um, I tend to shrink it down to about eight points. So I've just been reading that from eight point text. Mm. Uh, sorry for my departure too, Jim. Oh, I, I, we <laughs> but it wasn't that... just a thing. And it was, it was our quilt. The cyclone. And yeah. it's raining really heavily. Oh, is it? So, oh, wow. So your yeah. quilt that you made. 
No, no, no. It's one I bought from the shop, but it keeps us warm at night, but it won't when it's dripping wet, which oh. it is going to be now. Oh, I see. But it's summertime, so it's no big deal, right? I mean, if it's sure. wet. <laughs> Correct. So we've got a lot of a lot of things uh, that are a lot of questions in here, I guess. And, and basically, it's how you're handling cooking. It's really important because I, I think that Shirley's comment at the first really illustrated the point. It is difficult to pack a bunch of stuff, a bunch of food and plan meals when everybody knows when they pack their panniers, just forget the food. Just with all your gear, they're always full. So then where do you put food on top of that? And then where do you put the fancy stuff for food and, and, and pots and pans? But of course, people who've done it, you do find ways. Backpackers do it. Canoeists do it. There are ways to do this, little tricks and things. One of the questions really, or one of the, the thought with this is, like Shirley said, is it worth it? Because obviously you guys are finding, Shirley, that um, many times you just don't feel it's worth you know going through the hassle to do it. One of the things that, that Afen asked in here was, what do you do with the leftovers? And I think that's really big because that is a, a problem anytime you're camping is if you cook too much and you end up with leftovers, you don't end up um, scarfing that down. Hey, I think everyone has camped from their motorcycle to some great extent here, correct? Sure, of course. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Michelle, since um, you're bobbing along in the boat and you've been fairly quiet there, I, I want to get you to, to maybe start. Um, <laughs> how do you handle your, your cooking kitchen on your bike? Well, it depends on a, kind of a variety of things. It depends on where I'm traveling. So if I'm traveling um, just within my own home country where things are more accessible, um, I have different kinds of fuel that's accessible for my stove, my uh, camp stove, which I'll get into in just a second. But um, so where I'm traveling, the kind of foods that are available, the fuel for my cook stove that's available, who I'm cooking for. Is it just for me? Is it for a couple of people? How many days I'm going to be camping? Um, weather can play a factor. The kind of foods that I buy or that I maintain on the bike. If I'm traveling in a really hot or tropical climate, that may be different than the kind of foods I pack if it's cooler weather. Um, where things aren't going to go bad as quickly if I carry them on the motorcycle. Um, it depends on things like animals. So if I'm camping in bear country as opposed to other places um, around the world, or if I'm um, maybe a long distance between resupply points. So if I'm a long way from a cafe or a shop and I have to carry um, all of my food and my utensils and all of that. Um, and also depending on how much access I have to water, that that affects to some degree what I'm going to be eating and how I'm, I'm cooking food for myself. But just for example, I, I kind of, you know, fell back on two scenarios. And one was this long distance motorcycle trip that I think was mentioned in the, in the email. Um, for that, I have in the past, especially thinking in terms of internationally, I carry a camp stove that uses my um, same fuel as my bike. So I can use unleaded gasoline in it. Um, and that saves me carrying extra fuel. I have to have a little pressurized can and I can siphon out of my gas tank on my bike and I can use that for fuel for my stove. And then I have a pretty small, um, cooking setup. I have a small frying pan and a small saucepan, and I usually carry some of the staples that I use at home to cook. So a little bottle of olive oil, um, paring knife, spatula, and I carry little, um, tiny, um, plastic bottles filled with different spices. So salt and pepper, but also like red chili flakes, um, cumin, things like that. Um, and I buy fresh garlic when I travel and I usually will buy lemons and limes wherever I'm at too, and use that for cooking. 
So when I travel, I usually have some of those staples on the bike. And then I almost always carry, um, for example, like pasta. And I always find the pasta that takes the least amount of time to cook, even if it's just by a minute or two. So spaghetti cooks faster, for example, than like a spiral pasta. Maybe spaghetti can cook in like six or seven minutes and a spiral pasta may take 10 minutes to cook. But all of those things make you know, make a difference for me for how much water I need to cook it um, and how much time and fuel I need for cooking it as well. So um, I, I put a lot of thought into my camp kitchen and um, that's something that I, I used all the time. I mean, I, especially traveling in the two years in the Americas, you know, I picked up different cooking tips from different people um, tried new recipes, tried new foods. For example, in South America, I could buy dried shrimp and a dried um, food product that isn't going to go rancid in hot temperatures is something that you can carry with you on the bike. But otherwise, it's always a challenge to look at carrying anything that's not um, going to be refrigerated. So dairy products, meat products in particular, you have to find canned stuff. Um, canned tomato sauces. I picked up a lot of fruit and veggies as I went along, um, but I carried like a um, Tetra Pak wine. I carried Tetra Pak milk um, and I bought canned products. I carried um, oatmeal a lot as well. So my standard kind of meal would be a pasta dinner at night with some stir fried veggies in with it. And in the morning I would make oatmeal um, and a cup of tea with that same pot of boiling water. And then I would have um, fresh fruit chopped up with that. Um, but if I'm doing a short trip in the U.S., I actually take a very different system. So I have the MSR version of like a jet boil stove. Mine's called a wind burner. And I'll take my wind burner stove and I will carry dehydrated meals um, and sometimes like some pre-packaged quick oatmeal for breakfast. And, and I'm just cooking for one, for example. And that is a whole different stove that uses the isobutane propane canisters. And I know I can buy those in North America, but if I'm traveling overseas, I can't use those or it's, it's harder to find. So just a totally different setup um, depending on where I'm at and just a lot of different factors. But as a rule, one of the questions that was asked in, um, in, in the message was what I do with leftovers and waste. And I really try to minimize that. I'm really conscious of not having food scent. I don't want to draw any predators or, you know, pests, rats, anything like that. I've been in Mexico and had rats um, get into your camp or even lizards. So um, even if you're not in bear country, you need to be aware of just having food products around and what that does. So I'm pretty conscientious about making sure I eat whatever it is that I cook and I kind of err on the side of cooking less just to be safe. Wow, that is a lot of information. That is fantastic, but it certainly sounds complicated. I have to say, as soon as you started to get into it, I thought, oh, maybe Michelle's too complicated for this. <laughs> She's put maybe, too much. But I like to cook. No, and you you put too much thought into this. I mean, because there's a lot in there. But no, I, I like it. It makes a lot of sense. And and so much of what you said, I want to talk about. The one thing about the as far as fresh food, I mean, it is a, it's a given. I think to most people that to get to keep things cold on the bike is just about impossible. I mean, Shirley mentioned and Brian mentioned about the ice. That's great. That'll work for a very short time. That gets old really fast if you're trying to do it on a long-term basis. And, and it's just not dependable because your ice, I mean, depending on what container you use, et cetera, it's just not going to last very long. And it takes so much ice to keep things cold. So you're kind of into what you said there, like in, you're into canned and freeze-dried and dried type of foods. Um, 
that's that's a big part of of what you're you're packing. And Michelle, I, the one question I did want to ask was, are you um, planning each meal, or do you sort of carry some bulk stuff? No, I carry. I don't plan each meal. I just kind of make a meal based on whatever I can find in a local market. So uh, very often I will find some sort of like a zucchini squash and carrots and onions. And I'll cut those up and stir fry those in some olive oil and then um, either add spices and a little bit of olive oil and throw that in with pasta. Or I might add some tomato sauce from a can if I've got a small can. Just depends on what's available. Mm-hmm. And, and so you're shopping for each meal or each sort of day, probably the dinner, I'm assuming. Yeah, that's more for dinner. And then I'll pick up some fruit for breakfast, but I can shop for usually about three days worth of supplies and then go away from town for about three days before I'll need to come back because by then I'm usually out of water um, and any kind of fresh food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, water is always an issue. I mean, you, you know, it's a, you can only carry so much water. How do you carry your water, by the way? Um, it depends. So I, I have carried um, a hand pump filter Um, and then I've also carried, um, iodine drops to filter water so I can use some of that if I need to. Um, but usually I have, I buy bottled water and I strap it to the back of my bike on the rack. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's bring Sam in on this, Sam. Um, Michelle, you and I has obviously been to the same chef school and the same, same ruler travel school because I'm just sitting here and I'm just thinking, yep, 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 yep. Spot on, spot on. I mean, I don't actually, I don't carry um, olive oil, um, but what I do tend to do is to buy um, tins of tuna with um, olive oil in um, instead of the ones that um, are from water that we would normally do, and we'll fry our foods in those. Um, if uh, for cooking eggs and things like that, if we do that, then we don't tend to fry the eggs. We'll um, make poached eggs or um, something like that because then it cuts down on, on that need. But yeah, absolutely to the to the herbs and all of those sorts of things. But one of the things is I think... Um, you learn to eat and, and drink to feel good and to stay well. And it's quite a combination. And that starts off by making sure that your eyes are the same size as your stomach. Um, and, and you can use small pans, as you just said, Michelle, so that you're naturally restricted to the amount of food that you, um, you're actually cooking. And that makes infinite sense because, well, why pitch food or force eating it and so on? You just need to plan to plan well for it. And always buying um, veggies and fruit fresh uh, from along the way. And that's one of the joys of, of travel in any country, I think, is, is what you can, it's almost like foraging in stalls and supermarkets. Um, and we do tend to buy eggs and we do buy um, tomatoes, um, but we tend to buy those um, in, in bulk because they come as cheaper. Um, but we'll always carry a Tupperware container big enough to put some eggs in and or some tomatoes. And if on the rare occasion that there are leftovers, then we'll use that Tupperware box for that. But it's it's nearly always just for eggs or tomatoes to go into. I think one of the things that when a person is um, traveling is um, focusing on taste and, and what the body actually needs and what's available locally. And Michelle, again, was talking about that both for travel, for example, in the United States and travel in, in developing world countries. Um, and sometimes what you can buy locally isn't, um, isn't you know, particularly exciting, but hey, it's food. I think um, thinking about what our bodies actually need focuses on what we actually need to do. And um, I mean, our fund doesn't like to do houseworks, 
Um, so finding the meals that tick his boxes and don't make a mess, that just works for him. And it's a great plan in place and it suits him. So, uh, yeah, I mean, everybody makes compromises to suit their own needs and desires. But focusing on what you need to stay um, to stay healthy, what you've got to have a combination of carbohydrates, lipids, which um, is fats and waxes and oils, proteins, roughage, water, minerals and, um, and vitamins. And the three most important vitamins to stay alive on the road. And, you know, these are things that we tend to have been taught by our parents. So we don't even think about it. Um, it just naturally gets included within our diets when we're traveling. But when you're traveling in developing world countries, for example, and you're on the road for a long time, it is important that you tick these boxes. So vitamin D um, is one of the most important ones. And you'll find that in oily fish, um, salmon, mackerel, sardines. And yeah, well, some people like sardines and some people don't. If you're traveling in a part of the world where you get fresh sardines, cook them on the barbecue, there's nothing like it. Um, but it's also other sources um, such as eggs and red meat and liver. Um, B12 is the next one. And again, that comes from fish, meat, poultry, eggs and dairy products. And iron, um, red meat, beans such as kidney beans, um, chickpeas, nuts, dried fruit, those sorts of things. So if you've got those plus your carbohydrates, um, then you've got a very good chance of, of um, living healthily. And I don't know, some people, they just really like cooking. Um, it's a very satisfying part of the day. You've put in a hard day's ride and you, you get your stove going and you've made yourself a cup of tea and there you are cooking the meal and you don't need fancy stuff to get really nice tasting um, food. And I mean, for me and for Burger, it's just really satisfying. When I'm traveling solo, um, I cook a lot less. So I'll eat more bread and tortillas, cheeses, fruits, salads, where of course it's safe to do so. Um, nuts and raisins and things like that. And for carrying those fresh things, the things that will get crushed inside luggage, um, I carry a, a soft bag for the shopping. It's basically like a carrier bag made out of lightweight cloth. And um, I'll put the more bruisable food in that and then I'll just strap it onto the outside of my luggage so it doesn't get squashed. And normally I'm only riding for an hour or two with fresh foods like those. Um, so they survive quite nicely. But um, So it's yeah. a shop for the day. You're, you're grabbing your meal for, the, for that night. And that's all you're buying. But no, I'm, I buy the basics too. Um, I've mentioned before that couscous is absolutely fantastic to travel with because yeah. it, it literally takes just minutes to do. Um, and tick box again for Michelle was the difference between cooking spaghetti and cooking pasta. Um, the difference in, in time that it takes for these things, it, it's, yeah, um, when you're tired, you don't want to be dicking around for an extra five or six minutes. And some of the pastas that you get in developing world countries you can be boiling them furiously for 20 minutes before they're soft enough to eat. Mm. And what a drag that is. Um, so yeah, fast cooked rice, those sorts of things. So carrying those basics, um, packet soups make great sauces. They don't cost much. They have flavor. They take up little space and you find them all over the world. Um, plus the salt and pepper and curry powder and mixed herbs, etc. cetera. Um, and they're available all over the place too. So it, it isn't rocket science. It is easy to do, um, but you've got to want to do it. And I mean, I quite enjoy starting and finishing something. And of course the incentive is great um, when you're cooking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really rewarding, isn't it? You know, when you, like you say, you've ridden all day and you sit down and you have a nice meal, but it does take some 
well, some, some perseverance to sort of do it. Cause it's very easy. You know, I, I find that it's very easy for me when I'm out to just avoid the whole process and just eat something simple and, and get it done with my belly's full. And I, I call it a night. So it, uh, yeah, I mean, if I'm traveling solo, then I cook far less and I often yeah. don't even carry a stove um, because I can drink water or yeah, other things. Um, and I'm not talking about um, whiskey for breakfast. Well, that's a thought. Mm. Hey, Sam, are there, um, are there staples that you carry? Um, that's probably not the right. Yeah. Yeah. Staples that you carry that you um, always have with you. Like, I mean, do you buy, you know, a bag of rice or couscous rather and, and put it in there with some other things. Do you have that sort of stuff with you all the time? And then you're just stopping at the store and grab some fresh stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I definitely do that. Uh, cans of tuna, for example, cans of beans. I'm not talking about baked beans. I'm talking about um, kidney beans and those sorts of things um, because you can make all sorts of different meals with um, kidney beans. And I don't carry ones to cook, you know, from, from the hard state because that just takes far too long to do. Mm-hmm. But um, you can pick up cans of beans, um, kidney beans and that sort of stuff, chickpeas all over the place. And again, the versatility that you can have um, with those things. Um, yeah, they're great. And But the fresh food, then I'll pick up along the way. But my, my plan is to have um, three days food because I want to take side turnings. I want to get off the beaten track. I want to stay in places where um, not so many other people get to. Um, I want to wake up to the world and just me, my bike and Birgit, her bike, um, there and and just this magic view. And having the, the food capacity allows us to do that. Yeah, and you don't even need everything. In other words, like if you don't have any fresh fruit, you hadn't stopped to get fresh fruit or, or any fresh food, you could still just cook from your staples that you have with you if you, you yes. want to decide to stop somewhere. And, and that's the great thing about having something with you all the time. No, it's, it's, it's super, the flexibility that it gives you. And it doesn't need to be complicated. I always carry um, a bag of nuts and raisins. And normally I'll buy those in the market. And, you know, you buy them by the bag, an, an open bag, buy it by weight. And then mix those, and that makes great emergency food. Because you know what it's like, you know, when you get a puncture or something goes wrong, or you get distracted, and then the day's drawing out. Having that mix of um, nuts and raisins, for example, it just gives, raises your energy levels and your confidence and your enthusiasm and your endurance and that sort of stuff. There is nothing worse than not eating um, at the right um, time, the right things, and not drinking enough during a, a day's ride, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. No freedom. It's real freedom really. Cause you don't feel obligated to have to, to go somewhere. And like you say, it could have been a breakdown, but it also could be, you want to stop somewhere. And I know you've mentioned that before. Uh, you mentioned powders and spices. How do you carry your powders and spices? Um, I've got little film canisters. Um, remember those? No, um, no one's going to know what a film canister is anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> you can still find them. It's really funny. You go into, yeah. um, into markets, a place like that, and you'll find um, people are selling off these 35 millimeter um, film canisters. You know, the black bodies with the gray lids and so on. And I always scoop them up when I see them. Those are the plastic ones. And of course, that's because yeah. they're probably throwing the film out because there's nothing they can do with the film. They can't get oh, anybody right. to buy that. Exactly. <laughs> um, but no, I always grab those, but they're equivalents to those. I mean, the other thing that we do is we um, buy powdered milk and um, we'll you know, make cereal in the morning, usually, or um, which we sometimes carry, or um, oats, and also for making tea. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing you have to watch out with that, of course, is though that a lot of the powdered milks that you can get um, don't do well with hot water poured onto them <laughs> um, or sprinkled into hot, they just um, turn into lumps. So 
Uh, always mix them with a little bit yeah, of water. I, I use condensed milk. Sam, I use right. condensed milk. Gotcha. Condensed like milk is a lot better. A can yeah, of in it. a tube. It, yeah. it comes in a tube. Tube. Mm-hmm. Ah, well, I haven't seen it in a tube oh. before. Mm, canned. For and sure. we also use film canisters. They're not that um, unique, Jim. We still have some. <laughs> well, I'm sure you can find them at the antique shops and things like that. And yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Ziploc bags. <laughs> I use Ziploc bags for all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Ziploc bags. And that's and what I use as well for spices. Spices go really good in Ziploc bags because yeah. um, they just lay flat, right? They don't take up any and, space. And when they're empty, they're zero space. Exactly. And when they're full, they take up as much as you decide. Yeah. It's no, very, very flexible. Into, we're getting into 3D jigsaw, ever changing 3D jigsaw puzzle conversation, yes. aren't we? Right. Well, the nice thing about the, the Ziploc, Sam, over the film canisters is, as Grant is saying, that the film canister, as you empty it halfway down, it still takes up the full size of the can of the canister. Whereas with the Ziploc bags, it flattens down and it just stays very, very small. So that if you decide to take Ziploc bags, you don't have to cut the handle of your toothbrush off. You can just leave that <laughs> because you have plenty of room. Well, I, stop taking the mic, Jim. Um, I do have a counter argument to that. And that is that if I have um, my set luggage that stays um, as much as possible, the same shape and so on, then um, things just sort of slot in comfortably. But also, for example, coming down to Africa, I was using the equivalent of Ziploc bags and the vibrations in the road um, and the friction um, worked my way, it worked its way through um, the plastic bags of food that I was carrying. And um, yeah, I ended up with what looked like an explosion in a, a food paint factory. Yeah. Yeah, what did you have in them, though? I had curry powder oh. and all oh, sorts of different things. How fast <laughs> did it wear through, Sam? I'm glad. I'm glad you said that, Sam, because that was going to be my point. Is that they ziplock bags? You do get a hole in them. So I think mm-hmm. we've used the, the um, canisters, the little plastic film canisters, inside a ziplock bag. Didn't you for that? I think you've done well, that. If you too. need yeah. to, yeah, yeah, yeah just I, to make I've sure that film. it doesn't pop off. Right. Yes, and I've had film cans lids pop off with, and spill all over the place. So it's kind of... Uh, yeah, so you you I, know, the thing is, the difference might be is hard panniers versus soft panniers. I hate to bring this into it, but with hard panniers, I think you get a lot more vibration. Uh, and and th- I haven't actually, I've never used hard panniers. Actually, I've never been a hard pannier person. But to me, I think you get a lot more vibration with the hard pannier than you would the soft. Does that make sense? Like for, for shaking and wearing yeah. through the plastic and popping the lids off? Well, not popping the lids off. That could happen to anything. No, soft bags is more likely to have the lids right. pop off because as you tighten the straps, you're more likely to put pressure on it in a bad way. I agree, yeah. um, I use small Ziplocs um, for spices and things like yeah. that, powdered stuff. And then I put them in another big Ziploc and I keep an eye on that big yeah. Ziploc, make sure it's in good shape. And I always carry some extras as well. And I use the freezer bags, not just the ordinary Definitely. sandwich bags because they're useless. Yeah. That makes sort of sense. What, one more tip with the Ziplocs is squeeze all the air out as you yes. uh, you roll it up and squeeze all the air out because it's the air that pops the seal when you when you squish them together. So you don't just close it up haphazardly. You close it up to the to you have a little tiny bit left, and then you squish all the air out of it so that it's almost like it's vacuum packed, and then seal it. Then there's far less chance of it opening up. Yep. And then pack all your little bags into one bigger bag or two or three different bigger bags or different layers, whatever. But, mm-hmm. And then we put it all into a, um, what do you call it, uh, a nylon bag, you know, a ditty bag. Right. Yeah, because that's, you have everything in ditty bags, don't you? you you've said that before, yes. but you have each color, everything. which is a beautiful system, really. Oh, um, everything it makes color it so coded. easy. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's nothing like pulling up the side of the road and saying, you know, dear, I think it's time for me to go for a little visit to the bushes. And you open a saddlebag, reach down, grab the red bag and go. Yeah. You don't have to dig and look for it and wonder where it is. And then the soap's in one place and then the toilet paper's in another place. And it's all in one red bag. That's it. It's all there. Everything you need. Just makes it all so much easier. Uh, the um, the talk about stoves, Michelle. You'd mentioned that you 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 use a stove that has your that uses your bike fuel, your your gasoline, when you're on international yes. trips, and locally you use a canister. Why the canister? Um, it's just easier for me. It's a quick cooking system, so it's kind of like a jet boil. It's called a wind burner, and uh, I mean it just cooks super fast. So I can have. I think it's a built-in canister that goes on the top of the stove itself that with the little radiating fins, but it's like a single serving type system. And I think it cooks, boils a liter of water in like two minutes. I mean, it's super fast. So so a little hotter, a little cleaner burn, no stink, obviously not like, like gasoline. Well, you see, that's a really good point. Um, One of the problems with carrying fuel stoves rather than the gas stove is that you've got to be careful where you're going to pack it. Um, outside way. yeah absolutely mm. first time never inside ever <laughs> i just spent a fortune on buying muesli because we were heading way off the beaten track and this was really nice muesli i'm kind of a fan of it um and i made the mistake of putting my stove in the same pannier oh. <laughs> all that muesli tasted like petrol yeah yes. yep. when we were going through africa and south america our gas the gas canister lived outside the bike and the stove itself lived outside the bike, mm-hmm. like on the outside. Yeah. Um, anywhere else, it's just no way. You put it inside your panniers, it's it's going to be ugly. I, I think that goes it's for all liquids. Like I mean, some people all put their, their water inside. I, I would never do it. First of all, it takes up space, but but I would never do that. Water, even your olive oil, and I know, Sam, you, you're saying you don't carry olive oil. I'm curious as to why not, but uh, you don't call it, carry the olive oil. But any sort of liquid that you put in, obviously it's a risk. Grant mentioned bagging it. I know that when we've done, this is for commercial trips, when we do something like olive oil, everything's bagged. Everything's got a secondary protection on it. So the olive oil would be the container, but it'll actually be ziplocked as well. And then it's in a ditty bag as well. Sam, mm-hmm. why not the olive oil anyway? Oh, it's a toss up between olive oil and whiskey and you know what's going to win every time. Right, right. <laughs> How do you find bacon fries in whiskey? <laughs> you drink enough whiskey and you don't eat. Don't care how the bacon fries are. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. But also, Jim, we have um, bags on top of our panniers, and that's where we put our food stuff. So if it does break, it's only going to break inside. You know, there might be a bike cover in there or an umbrella or something not important, not the only clean T-shirt you have left. Right. And what what kind of bags are these? uh, Oh, they're... Tech, are they oh, not the man's track. I don't care about I just mean like what style bag? Is it a fairly big bag? Oh, they're, they're yeah, they're, they're expandable bags that... Um, they strap onto the top of the pannier, yeah. the lid of the hard idea. pannier. Yeah. And they're the same size as the, as the pannier. Right. And you can either, and when they're flat, they're about, I'm holding my hand up now, which isn't much use on um, <laughs> I can feel it. Podcast. No, I can feel it, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> And I only think in inches, so that's even worse. Oh, no, actually, no, that's good. Four inches about high, but they do expand. So if you've got – If it gets really hot and you want to put a couple of jumpers in there, you can lift the 
side of it up and it, you can jam no, a whole lot of stuff in there. What normally happens is Shirley oh, buys Yes, all right. And, okay. Uh, <laughs> Thank yeah. you. And it, We're and done now. Oh. <laughs> but also we've got uh, – we use uh, the, the um, tank bags that hang over the side of the tank, which hold 10 litres of stuff. So, you know, I normally put jet boil or something like that in there or the jet boil goes in those um, bags, bags on top of the panniers. And, you know, we just keep our food stuff separate. Simple, really. And, you know, what M- Michelle was saying about um, spaghetti and stuff like that is true. But, you know, you can carb up and just have a can of tuna if you like and some whiskey. That's fine. Mm-hmm. So we do actually cook sometimes, Jim, but I I misread the two to three day trip as in taking enough food for two to three days. And that is, um, I find that very difficult to up on one bike. Oh yeah, trying to More find than two or three space days, for manner of things. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. right. But I mean, we found in some of the places we camped in North America when we were in the national parks. God bless the park service in America because not only did they provide you with um, fire pits with a barbecue grill on them, there was also a restaurant about a, a kilometre away. <laughs> Within okay, the park, so when when one didn't want to go to the shop and buy one's piece of steak, one could go to the restaurant and get someone else to cook it for one, mm. and drink three or four glasses of very fine red, and walk back to the campsite and roll into their tent. Fine night out, I'm saying. Perfectly valid. This overlanding night misery, isn't it? <laughs> well, it is. God, just because you're on a bike doesn't mean you have to have a lousy time and be uncomfortable, cold, hungry, no. deprived. I wanted to say that um, like we're kind of saying like Afan's doing it wrong. No, I think he, Afan's doing great. I think it, his method is excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yep. Susan and I both do much the same thing when we're traveling a lot of times. Um, if I'm traveling alone on short trips, yep, that's basically what I do. Um, I mean, I may carry a stove depending on, on how much into the backcountry I'm going to be getting, but for a short road trip for a week, it's fine. He's doing okay. I wouldn't have any wrong anything wrong with that. I mean, I might stop at a Subway and pick up my lunch and um, get a, a nice big Subway sandwich and eat that an hour down the road or something, but yeah, it's fine. He's doing great. Yeah, I like his style. And if he doesn't like cooking and washing up, then go for it. And that's, again, one of the most beautiful things about motorcycle overlanding. We can all be who we are. Well, and and Michelle said that, you know, it depends on what trip she's doing, how she ends up packing, what she's planning to do. And I I think that makes perfect sense. You know, if you're on a long trip, you may well want to take, you know, a tiny cutting board and your paring knife and different little things and make a full on kitchen because you got to be pretty serious about it. You're on the road for a long time, but a week. I mean, you can get by with a mix of everything. Like Krantz says, you know, you grab a sandwich here, you cook a little bit there and, and some freeze-dried pouches. You can't eat freeze-dried for very long before you'll get sick of it very quickly. <laughs> yeah, very quickly. <laughs> but on, on a short-term yeah, basis, you, you know, yeah. why not? And mix it up, you know, with, with a bunch of different things. Like, because there's no doubt, does, doesn't everyone think, well, maybe, maybe not everyone. So let me just ask this. Does everyone think that cooking is a bit of a pain in the butt with the motorcycle? Oh, no. Yeah. At the motorcycle, in the kitchen, in the house, <laughs> in the holiday home, in the caravan. Good point. Good point. <laughs> now, I love cooking. And obviously, my, my big rant about how camp cooking works for me proves that. <laughs> so I, I have a lot of fun. It's, it's definitely more challenging on a motorcycle, for sure. And that uh, you guys have all summed it up perfectly. Just do what works for you. I enjoy cooking, so I look at it differently. But if I didn't, I wouldn't pack it. 
and I wouldn't even worry about it. Just do what works for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Michelle, when you were talking about um, buying limes and lemons and so on, I was just thinking, hmm, that's something that I should do more often of. Because of course, we all need plenty of vitamin C when we're traveling. And I was just thinking, mm. oh, couscous, chickpeas, a little bit of mixed herbs, some lemon juice. Oh, my taste buds are going already. Mm. <laughs> and it's such simple, quick, fast food to do and satisfying. Yeah. And it's one of the things I learned to do in Central and South America is that they actually serve limes with everything. Mm -hmm. So they put little wedges of limes on the edge of, you know, um, ceviche or the side of a plate with rice or beans or taco. And they use it actually instead of salt and pepper. So I tend to actually season a lot with citrus juice, fresh citrus, and it's, it just lends a nice fresh flavor to everything. Mm -hmm. And of course, limes in South America are so cheap, but in Australia, you just about have to take out a second mortgage to buy a lime sometimes. Look, I have a lime. (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah, well, I have a lime. You don't go and buy a bag of limes. (laughs) Shirley, why is that? I mean, the climate in Australia in some parts must be perfect for growing limes. Oh, it is, but it's it's seasonal. I mean, yeah. yeah. We have a... uh, we have a lime tree here and it's got one pathetic little lime on it, which I'm hoping will grow into one that I can use in a drink. Um, but the, um, we have a lemon tree as well. And I was once told by a, a member of the Country Women's Association, which is a stalwart of Australian rural existence, that if you need to buy lemons, you don't have friends because wow. everyone knows someone with a lemon tree. Uh, I'm glad you said that last line because I didn't get it, but I get it. Yeah. yeah. I knew it. I could tell by the silence yeah, on the other end right. of my headphones that no one had the vaguest idea what I was talking about. Shirley, you just started, has pinged back a very fine memory to me. Um, stayed in a small village in Kenya and they had a lemon tree there and the lemons that they grew were just huge, um, bigger than fists, bigger than a, a fully grown man's fist. Um, and when you peeled these things, they were sweet. I mean, full on lemons, but they were sweet. And oh, it was just absolute joy nice. to eat. Yeah, really, really nice. Just peel them like an orange. Lovely. The, the mm. one other thing I want to mention here, what, what uh, Afan asked about was need to wash cookware. So, and I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, maybe tips on how to wash cookware. It's one of the things I think that you need to think about before you're buying what it is you want to cook. If you're going to cook fish, for instance, you know, you have a cleanup job. Um, if you're going to mix things, you know, you've got more of a cleanup job and more waste. So it's something you want to sort of plan out in advance, but, um, Maybe I'll start things off with a, a tip for if you've got some some really dirty stuff. For instance, if you, you you make something like a sandwich and you've got a knife that's all covered in something and you don't want to waste your water to wash it, if you've got um, a paper towel, a Kleenex or anything, any sort of cloth, you can wipe it off, which makes it a lot easier to wash at that point rather than just throwing it in the water like you would at home or some people will at home or rinsing it off under the tap. But what about those those type of tips? Do you guys have that that sort of thing? Then you have the issue, Jim, of something else to carry with paper towel. I think using paper towel is a great idea, but um, it is something else to try and find a space for on the bike. You know, and I'm just thinking of whatever you got. Like, okay, what I would do with it is I will wipe it off, like even even on a like a piece of grass, for instance. Mm-hmm. And that yep. saves me wasting the water um, to, to wash it. I'm, you know, I'm sure everyone's heard about, you know, we're using sand to wash. You know, you have a little bit of water and some sand in it. That sort of wipe off is what I'm thinking of, even in sand. But um, yeah. anyway, all those, those little type of things. But any, any sort of little tips like that you have? Always invite the neighbouring camper um, to dinner and then they can do the washing up for you. 
<laughs> oh, that's a good one. I like that. Nice work, team. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yes. I use a uh, plastic scrubby for cleaning up. That makes a big difference. They're super lightweight, compressed to nothing. And um, if you're using – there's always a debate between um, – a plain ordinary pot or, or a fry pan and the non-stick type. Yeah, I, I've never been able to make a decision as to which is best, so I buy whatever I feel like at the time. But uh, plastic scrubbies work on either one, and you can just go for it. If you use a non-stick fry pan, you can't use sand on it. You'll no. take it off in about a minute. Yeah. So you shouldn't be using any sort of scrubby on a non-stick because the, the when the not that that uh, Teflon or whatever it is it starts to come off. That's uh, really bad for you to eat. Yeah. Well, a plastic scrubby is okay. That's perfectly valid to use. But, but even well, that will scratch the surface though. So anything, any sort of abrasion that you put on it, you're putting micro scratches into it. I mean, it depends on how worried you are about your pan, but anyway. Yeah. Well, well I guess, they're all replaceable. I guess, Jim, if we wanted to, uh, pans are replaceable, but also if we want to talk about products, there are things in Australia that are scourers that do not scratch nonstick. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's there's no super wipes. So chuck super wipes are fine. Just a bit of water and just um, wipe it down, and it'll dry naturally. You don't have to dry it. Yeah, and I think Jim might be thinking of a different plastic scrubby than I'm thinking of because the kind I'm thinking yeah. of are basically a, a real. Um, I mean, the the bits of plastic are I don't know two millimeters apart, and it's just a really loose weave. Uh -huh. I don't think that's going to scratch any any Teflon, or uh -huh. at least not a good Teflon. Um, no. I've used them for years and it doesn't seem to make any difference. Mm -hmm. um, I know some people like to use titanium. It's really light. But I think something to keep in mind is that, A, it's stupidly expensive. And two, we're not carrying it on our backs. We're carrying it on a motorcycle. And the biggest problem on a motorcycle is not the weight. Although, yes, it don't, don't get me wrong. It's, it is a problem, but it's not the biggest problem. The biggest problem is space. And between a titanium pot at $50 and an aluminum pot at $15, there's no difference in space. Mm. So it depends on your budget, which one you go for. We can spend to the nth degree on, on equipment for ourselves oh, to go with. But the problem, one thing I find with it is that the, the more money you spend on it, the more it hurts when it gets damaged or gets worn out or gets lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is why I don't use any titanium. I use plastic spoons, or I shouldn't say plastic. They're um, some kind of special nylon. And and I've been using them for years, and they're fine. Yes, I can get some really cool ones that nest and do fancy, fancy folding up. And, yeah, it's, it's this plastic spoon. Come on, don't get fancy. It works. Right. <laughs> Keep it simple. And I, th I think that's one of the important things here is – the number one thing is to keep it simple. Don't make it hard. Don't make it a real chore. Um, like when I'm making, trying to decide when I'm on a backcountry trip, yes, I'll cook some food and I will eat it all. And then I will consider if I'm still hungry, having something in the way of a dessert. And the dessert may be as simple as an energy bar, but it's easy to add a little extra on and I don't waste or have to throw away anything. So a little bit of flexibility that way. And breakfast, I don't get the stove out at all. It's mostly powdered milk and a little bit of water. And um, there's always something in the way of fruit. I don't care if it's a few oranges I've got and I use, uh, cut them up and toss them into the muesli or if I can get some blueberries or berries of some kind. Um, I'll even do apple slices and chop them up and toss them into the muesli. A little bit of muesli, powdered milk and some fruit. You've got a perfectly good breakfast. And it takes very little to clean up, and it's easy to carry a lot of it. Mm -hmm. Takes all um, all the, bo the 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 boxes, doesn't it? 
the survival yeah, bonuses. Yep. Keep it simple. Don't cook. Um, if I don't have to pack the stove up or get the stove up, uh, wait for it to cool down, then pack it away again uh, in the morning. Great. I'm happy. Keep it simple. And, and then I'll do sandwiches for lunch. I found a photo the other day, um, which is of me cooking in um, Zimbabwe. But I'm not using my own cookware. I'm using the enamel large saucepan size pot um, that belonged to Ashley and Donna. I've mentioned them before. They were the most unprepared people traveling through Africa on a motorcycle besides me. <laughs> they made me feel as if I was actually experienced. Um, but these guys, they had um, one pannier on one side and, and it was basic BMW plastic pannier, you know, the ones that opened on the sides and sort of lid falls down. So that would, that would had their personal belongings in it. The other side was um, a jerry can. Um, and they had a small roll bag on the back and Donna had a very small backpack. And that was what they were traveling with. That was their, their space that they'd given themselves. But they carried this blooming great big enamel saucepan and they used to cook everything in it. And they didn't carry a stove or anything else like that. They would just find sticks and twigs and that sort of thing and have a little um, campfire every, everywhere they went. And we cooked some great meals in the, in the time that we traveled together in that big pan. But I wouldn't have wanted to carry it, but I'll send you that photo because it's um, it does yeah, make me cool. smile. Yeah, that's good. Yep, campfires are a pain in the neck, though. I really don't like cooking on a campfire. It's just more trouble than it's worth by far. Because well, it makes everything black and the temperatures oh, uncontrollable. Yeah, terrible. Are you talking about camp? Or like the campfires a pain, or cooking on the campfires a pain? Both, but the camp. I'm not a big fan of campfires. I mean, it's nice, and it's kind of on a cool evening. It's nice to have a campfire if it's easy and it's not a big deal. Otherwise, I'll just roll up and get to bed. But uh, cooking on a campfire, no, I hate that. I've done it and I hate it. Well, let me just say that for anyone else who's considering making fires, the thing is with making a fire is the more you do it, the easier it becomes, and then pretty soon, like if you practice a lot, do it, do it over and over you'll find you'll be able to do it on the coldest weather that you run into. And really that's the times where you'll really need it. But if you don't hardly ever make one that you do find it to be, you know, quite a, a task to do and you, you won't be very successful at it. So I would, you know, get out there and, and spend some time making some fires because it's so rewarding. Fire is, I mean, that's a fundamental thing for humans. We like to gather around a fire and stare at the fire and talk around the fire. But I know as far as like, I mean, for instance, if you think of a, a person lost in the woods, Making a fire is one of those things that can make the difference from someone, you know, losing their mind because they're so terrified. And this is what happens when people are lost or keeping themselves organized and waiting in one spot until they're found. I mean, fires are really important and they can be really rewarding. So I would say put in the work, but that's just my two cents worth. Well, I, I, uh, do, I, I can, agree. I, I'll completely I'll agree. <laughs> uh, can I just add something though, just being the worry wart that I am? Sure. If you were cooking on a fire in Northern Victoria today, uh, you wouldn't be eating <laughs> because we have a total fire ban. Right. Yeah. And, and that makes perfect right. sense. Yeah, you, you, yeah, you would. You'd be eating. You'd be eating in jail. Okay, right. okay. <laughs> you, you have to take that into consideration, of course, if there's fire bans and, and depending how dry the weather is and everything to do with it. When I'm saying practice of fire, I'm not talking willy nilly, look into it, read about it, you know, figure out how to do it properly. There are places that are appropriate to, to start a fire and, and those that aren't. And I sort of leave that out as to, you know, as that that's the, the person's, um, their due diligence in, in considering something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. We lived off a campfire all the way across the Simpson desert. Sure. I remember we had roast dinners and, 
Um, we did. Yeah, and all that sort of stuff. It's wonderful. We weren't on a motorbike. No, we weren't. And if there was a total fire ban, good luck telling us <laughs> and even better luck finding us in the middle of the Simpson <laughs> Desert. Nice. Do you know, I was laughing at this um, thought the other day, um, this very thing about making fires. I mean, it's, there's so much common sense involved with making a fire, isn't there? Yeah, so many people have no clue how to do it. So I, I totally agree with Jim in that you should absolutely practice and make lots of fires and so that you could do a fire anywhere, anytime, pretty much. But do I want to do it when I'm on a trip and it's just, I'm going to burn it for half an hour and then I'm going to go to bed anyway? Nah, I don't bother. Yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but but to me, I would I would do it for the for the few minutes. There's lots of times, I'm not saying I have a fire every time because there's lots of times when I don't yeah. as well. But um I do find it very easy to start a fire and, and very rewarding. And Sam, you're talking about the, the I don't know if it's common sense making a fire. I, I've seen a lot of people attempt to make a fire and, and a lot of mistakes made. And it's not because, you know, one a person is not smart enough, it's just not having the knowledge, the understanding mm-hmm. of what it takes to make a fire. And I, I don't know if we would want to get into that right now. But, uh, Jim, but Jim just, that, that was what I was building up to. Exactly oh, that. Um, and we live in the time where you buy a piece of food and the wrapper says, do not eat this wrapper. Um, right. <laughs> it doesn't alter the fact that there is so yeah. many, um, so many chances. There are so many chances to, to go on a course, to look at YouTube, to find out how to make a fire properly, to learn how to cook, um, on a fire and all of those sorts of things. And it's fascinating how much knowledge there is out there being shared. Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, having a fire, I'm sure it saved my bacon a few times. Yeah, just as a quick aside, does everyone carry waterproof matches? Yes. Oh, to me, it's a safety yes. feature. No. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> no, I carry, yeah. carry a ferrocerium rod, which is a, like a fire stick, people oh, call yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one yeah, of those that makes, yeah. makes sparks, yeah. right? Because the nice thing with this is, this this is a, a rod that's, that's made of, um, it's, it's man-made. And you drag a metal, a sharp metal object on it and it blows sparks off and, and you can like tinder with it. And the good oh, thing yeah. is, is you can jump yeah. in the water with this. And it will spark in like you just lift it out of the water and it sparks immediately. So the the waterproof matches. Uh, I mean, I, I many years ago I used to have a waterproof match kit where I carried it, but since the uh, the ferrocerium rod, that's even better, Jim. That yeah. sounds even better. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Same same principle. Yeah. But my main thing is a lighter. I, I carry a Zippo lighter. I think I've said that before. That's my main thing that I carry. I carry it in my pocket every day, and I don't smoke or anything. I use it all the time for many different things of, of heating things up, but. That that's my go-to really is if you know if I was going to start a fire, but the ferroserum rod is, is just as good. I mean, only slightly more work um, to do. The big thing I see with people starting fires is they don't prep properly. You know, they're they're not uh, they don't think of yeah. the tinder yeah. and they don't think of their kindling and, and they don't actually go through the process of how to make it. And I think Sam's got a, an excellent point there. There's so much information. Just go out and look it up, and it's very rewarding. And then practice. It's so satisfying. Yeah. Okay, well, um, that one, that covers that one. Why don't we take a quick break? And then when we come back, we'll talk about our other topic, which um, is, what is our other topic? <laughs> we have another topic. Keep your bike safe. Going hiking. Going hiking. Right. Yep. Leaving your bike. Leaving the bike safe. Protecting your bike, you go when you're away from your bike. Exactly. Coming up. This episode of Raw is supported by freshtracks.co.uk. FreshTracks works with companies or groups to motivate, inspire, and build communication skills through team building. And they've been doing it for a lot of years now. And they have a host of programs to suit any company's requirements. 
They work with companies like Mars, Pfizer, Comic Relief, and, and many more. Their website, freshtracks.co.uk. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio Raw, freshtracks.co.uk. Thank you, Fresh Tracks. So the next one is also from a fan. He um, asks about um, basically leaving your bike at different places. He says he, um, he well, I'll read what he says. I use hard side bags, a top case, and also carry a dry bag on the pillion seat as well as a tank bag. However, I'm often hesitated to leave my bike for a few hours to go hiking, explore the city, or relax on the beach due to concerns about theft. During these pissed off moments, I would always start thinking about whether it would be just simpler and more beneficial to use a car instead of a motorcycle. How do you and your group manage this concern? So this is all about leaving the bike parked. And I know we've sort of talked about this a little bit before. I find it a concern too. I parked my bike one time and had someone steal a, a side cover off of it, which was really frustrating, <laughs> you know, a painted side cover that I've, I've got to replace. Um, but it's also your bags. And when you have all your stuff there, all your worldly possessions on your motorcycle, all bagged up looking like, hey, you know, there's a lot of great stuff here. It is concerning. And I have to admit, I've definitely passed up exploring something for fear of leaving my bike. So the way I thought about this is I was thinking there's probably like, and correct me if, if you, or just tell me if you think differently with this, I'm thinking there's kind of like our two different scenarios. One scenario would be where there's, where there's people, it's more built up. And another one would be at a remote trailhead. You know, you, you go to a place to hike or maybe walk down to a beach, et cetera, et cetera. Well, what do you do? How do you handle that? How do you leave your bike and be confident or do you? that no one's going to touch it? Or how do you at least mitigate that? Um, hard bags, Jim. Oh, jeez. Um, just do hard. <laughs> <laughs> I set myself up for that one, didn't I? That's you did. Yeah. Uh, no, no, look, look, you just make it a little bit more difficult. Um, we, we have obviously hard bags, but also we carry soft bag on top of the panniers. And I had a uh, one of those nets, uh, those steel mesh nets that we use to cover that hard ba- uh, the, the soft bag, I should say. Um, and we've taken our tank bag off and and um, taken that with us. Uh, we've got um, cable locks to lock on the uh, helmets and bits and pieces like that. But one thing I did see um, while we were travelling. We came across a guy who'd obviously gone hiking and he'd left his bike and he left his boots beside his bike. Oh. And you think, well, that's, that's, a bit, that's a bit risky. But when you look closely, he'd actually drilled a hole in the heel and run a steel cable through his bike boots and then, and then uh, cabled, um, cabled them to the, uh, the bike itself. So mm. pretty clever. Yeah. And also in, um, in Europe, when you go up hiking in the high country, the government there has lockers where you can lock up your helmet and your bike gear and put your hiking boots on and go hiking. Mm, Grossglockner in particular. Yeah. Oh, what a brilliant idea. (laughs) It is a fabulous idea. The other option which we do, if there's somewhere we particularly want to explore or you really want to have a day at the beach, have an extra night in the hostel and leave everything in your room. Oh, yeah. that's yeah, well, that's a no-brainer, isn't it? That's a good thank you, Shirley. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hadn't thought yeah. about that. <laughs> that's a very good point. Just don't take it. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you if you want to if you really want to spend a whole day somewhere, yeah, well, you yeah. ride in and get there at lunchtime and leave at three to get to your next spot. It's 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 just easier to stay an extra day. Right. Yeah, I think it's all part of slowing down. Yeah, we do that. We take all our gear off and then put our, panni- our helmets in the panniers. Yeah. We've done that before. And, yeah. and you're right, Grant. It's part of slowing down. It's part of having that holiday. 
Yeah, not trying traveling. to fill every minute. So slow yeah. down, plan ahead, stay overnight, Correct. stay two nights. Like I find that staying two nights in some place is is very common for us because it gives us, we arrive, we've got the evening, we get up in the morning, what are we going to explore? Where are we going to go? We might take a little tour, you know, a local touristy thing or go to the beach or whatever is appropriate. And then we can relax that evening and pack up and we're set to go in the morning. And it's no stress. We don't worry about anything. It's, it's a really good way to do it. Well, let's um, just pull the conversation back though. We're, we're, we're talking about leaving our bikes here. And I'm just going to ask for Brian, is there any difference for you with, with parking that bike? Whether like, cause you're talking about you're locking things up, et cetera, whether you're in an urban area, built up area, as opposed to a trailhead. Like, cause, cause the, the, the thought process is the trailhead is remote. Yeah. It gives somebody a chance to really have a, have a go at it. Yeah, that's true. And look, all you can do is mitigate it as much as you can. And, and my thoughts would be, yes, you just leave it the same. You'd lock up as much as you could. <laughs> Even our little canvas bags that we talked about with our, our food stuffs in it, we had little locks on that. I know that it, they're easy to break and all that sort of stuff, but it just mitigates it from uh, little wandering hands. And mm-hmm. we do have a cable that will go through both helmets and the bike. Yeah. And so um, – we don't have to run the risk of our helmets being stolen. And you wouldn't think anyone would steal your helmets, but um, oh, yes. Ken and Carol oh, Deville yes. had their stolen at Iguazu Falls. So. Yeah. yeah. I know that's... people have had their helmet straps cut off just so that somebody could have a helmet. Yeah, just makes it's ridiculous, sense. isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I've got a picture somewhere yeah. of somebody in Africa. One guy has a, a sort of helmet of some sort on, and the other guy is wearing a beach bucket, you know, like all those beach pails that kids have uh, yeah, yeah, on yeah. his head. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They'll take anything for a helmet. Cutting the straps <laughs> off, so what? Not a problem. Life can sew up a new strap. So, yeah. That's right. You know, maybe this goes along with what we talked about before is about, um, you know, being able to lose something as well. Like, so, so if somebody steals your helmet, are they are they stealing your $2,000 helmet or are they stealing your $400 helmet? You know what I mean? Yeah. One sure. can hurt a lot more yeah. than the other. And that goes with everything. Yeah. Everything should be stealable. <laughs> That's right. You, you, you run the risk anyway. You know, they could pick up your whole bike and take that, and that's happened before. Yeah, um, that's true. But, you know, I, I use, a, um, as Shirley said, that big uh, steel cable lock I've got, and that will run through the frame and the back wheel uh, as well, and then I'll put a, a lock on the front wheel as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've seen bikes that have had their wheels taken, you know. Mm-hmm. So, if they just- want it. They'll, they'll take they're it. They're going to get it, right. They'll, get so. it. They'll, they'll find a way of, of getting, yep. no matter what lock or device you put on it, when you're in a crowded place, they're going to possibly look more like a thief. Mm. But yeah, when you're in, in an isolated place, it gives them more time to fiddle around and work out how best to get your stuff without ruining your stuff for them. Definitely. Yeah, M- Michelle, I, I want to hear from you what, what you're doing, and I'm also curious about covering the bike. Are you or is anybody else doing that? Yes, 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 yes. Always. <laughs> Always. Yeah. You can lock it all up to the nth degree, but it's still visible and it's still stuff. If you put a cover on it, it more or less disappears to a lot of people. And it's also a lot more obvious if somebody is taking it off and not knowing what they're doing. And It's, it's more obvious that it's being stolen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that I've used and I think I've mentioned before is a pack safe, which is like a cable netting bag. So I, um, especially internationally, I travel with hard luggage, um, but I also use that lockable mesh net uh, 
cable bag to go over my duffel bag. And then I actually have a tank bag that has a shoulder strap. So I can use that as kind of like a backpack or a messenger bag and carry my tank bag with me because oftentimes that's where I've got some valuables like my GPS or my cell phone or a camera. Um, so I can actually take those things with me. Yeah, I like um, those, but yeah. I think... Yeah. Other people have mentioned, and I do exactly the same. I have a cable lock that I can run through like my handlebars, my, my grip protectors or my lever protectors. I have bark busters, but I can just run a, a cable lock through those and through um, the open visor of my helmet. And I um, can lock my helmet onto my bike that way. But I've also seen people and, and I've done this. I've just started doing it actually. Um, by like a bicycle cable lock and you can run it through both sleeves of your jacket and put your yeah. jacket onto your frame as well. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Especially yeah, we if you're going to go walking, I'll wear my, of course, my riding pants and my boots. Usually I have comfortable enough boots to walk and hike and go out to an overlook or a viewpoint in my, my riding boots. Um, but my jacket is kind of a problem because it gets heavy and hot, especially if you're walking or hiking, you're, you're working up some heat and maybe breaking a sweat. So your jacket gets to be uncomfortable. Um, so I just try and tie up all the loose ends. I don't actually travel with a cover. I know some people do. And, and certainly in more urban areas and maybe even, I guess, out in the bush, I never even thought of that. Maybe that's something that kind of... Uh, keeps your your bike a little less visible but i i don't do that it's also something that like if your bike is covered and it like for instance at a trailhead a remote trailhead if someone gets into it with the bike they've got to pull the cover off and there's just something about that act of doing it that makes it there's no um mistake what they're doing you know so they've got to be worried that if you come up behind them there's no mistake they're not looking at your bike you know, they're yeah. after something. And, and so there's yeah, something about exactly. it, that, you know, maybe it's just the, the keep the honest thief out, I guess. Yeah, that's, that's right. And, and we use that same principle with the the, the jackets that, sure, uh, that Michelle was talking about. I use the same, uh, exactly the same thing. I've got about three different cable locks. Mm-hmm. And you also, you mentioned the, the mesh, but there is something about that, like when it's covered up, that somebody has to be committed to sort of go into there and see what you have. So if you did have your, your jacket and your helmets and things locked up on there, they're out of sight. And to really get at that, you've got to commit to some sort of theft or mischief yep. by lifting that oh. cover up. Yep. Spot yep. on, out of yep. sight, yep. out of mind. I make life difficult for opportunities because those are the majority of thieves. And that soft cover over the luggage, yeah. Soft, co- soft yes. cover over yeah. the whole bike. That's right. The only issue we've had with uh, a cover on the bike is uh, in the morning coming out and finding a cat asleep on the seat underneath the cover. (laughs) (laughs) That's not an issue. He's cats looking after it for you, keeping away the mice. Correct. (laughs) He's never heard of a guard cat. (laughs) Mine clawed my seat doing exactly that, Brian. The bike was covered up. The cat decided to climb up underneath there and give the seat a good clawing. Ouch. That's what cats do. (laughs) It is. When we were in Ireland um, this year, um, we went to to visit um, sort of a touristy type place and it was full on stately home type of of place. And there was a guy, I think he was from Italy, um, but he had obviously taken off his bike jacket and he had his roll bag on his pillion seat and he had just covered those with um, an orange lightweight um, um, you know, sort of cloth with elastic around the, the edges of it. And we saw him wandering around, didn't manage to talk to him, unfortunately, but um, we saw him wandering around and um, just completely comfortable. 
And I thought, yeah, good on you. You've got it sussed. The other thing that he did was he parked his bike where the maximum number of people were going to be walking past it on the yeah. way in. Yeah. yeah. So yes. if anybody yes. was in um, dodgy character, as in trying to, to, to break in it, but not obviously wearing motorcycle clothing of any type, then they were going to stand out. You know, so, I, I'm glad you mentioned that, Sam, because that's a really good point because you could easily be, be the thought process, well, I, I don't want to leave it where everybody's walking by. I'll put it out of the way. Whereas what you're doing is you're setting yourself up. Yeah. Yeah. Put it, I, I like to find a place where it's really popular and either put it right at the trailhead so everybody walks by mm-hmm. it. Or if there's a parking attendant, put it right up front of the parking attendant's yeah. booth. Say hi, shake your hand. You know how you doing? This is what I'm doing. Can you look yeah. after my bike for me? Can I bring you anything from the? If there's a shop nearby, you know, make friends, and then they don't want to be embarrassed by having something ripped off your bike. Mm-hmm. So, and, oh, and make sure you ask them when do they go off duty. Make sure you're back by then. And right. you've built up a relationship with somebody. You've not just exactly. ignored them. You've not treated them with any disrespect by ignoring them or anything else like that. And yep. you make friends with somebody and they want to be friendly back. And most people, um, they just want to make sure that you're having a good time in their country. But I think yep. it's like wild camping, isn't it? Um, you either really hide out of the way or um, you park you in, in full view where there's maximum. I used to worry about this quite a lot border crossings and going into a book into a hotel or tourist site or something like that but I soon worked a plan and then became fatalistic and the plan was just to make sure that everything that I had that I really valued was locked in a hard pannier or carried with me and I always carry a a backpack that smolds down really small for that Um, and if on a major trip then my tank bag always has a shoulder um, bag or can be converted into a backpack and the fatalism side well, if it could be stolen, would it stop my trip? Well, no. So don't worry about it. Though a chore, things can be replaced um, and you can actually have the, the adventure of um, replacing them. Mm-hmm. And bike clothes, I normally wear them even when it's really hot. Um, for me, a bit of discomfort, even you know, full-on sweat isn't so much of a worry as long as I've got plenty to drink and, well, I always walk on the shady side. Um, but that's me. I'm, I, I have always been nervous <laughs> about leaving my bike jacket on the bike. Sorry, Sam, you said you, you, as long as you have plenty to drink and you always walk on the shady side, I just sort yeah. of took that in a totally different way than what you meant it. God, Jim, what sort of reputation have I got? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, what everybody's been saying about cable locks and that sort of thing, yeah, absolutely spot on. Um, it is making it difficult for opportunists that, 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 you know, just slows things down. If you put temptation in some people's way, then some of those people will be tempted. Um, but yeah. the reality is I've never had anything stolen off my motorcycle anywhere. Is that full caution? Well, I've had, uh, twice I've had things stolen off the bike. Well, I shouldn't say that quite. One time I had something stolen off the bike and that was a Velcroed on little tiny clock sitting up on the dash. Somebody stole it. Okay, fine. Not a big deal. I can live with that. The other time was in a big parking lot in Birmingham. I can't even remember what I was there for. And somebody went into the little, my fairing had uh, little tonneau covers, vinyl covers with snaps. And somebody had opened up the snaps, reached in and just pulled everything out and tossed it on the ground. And that's it. And all our travels, that's the only time we've ever had any issue with anybody messing with the bike. That's, that's so. notable. How about you, Michelle? I've never had anything stolen. 
And and I'm usually not one to leave things to chance. I try not to tempt people um, Mm -hmm. for their benefit and for mine. I don't want anybody to be tempted. Um, But I've left um, straps tied to the bike overnight. I've left a tank bag out overnight accidentally. I'm, I'm usually pretty meticulous about it, but I have made a couple mistakes here and there and never had anything taken ever. So I'm lucky. No, Brian. Yeah. We've, we've had, um, uh, <laughs> come out and had the bike, someone sat on the bike and cycled through the gears and flicked the switch here and there, but we've never had anything stolen. And, and I've, I've inadvertently left things, in the little soft bags on the, the throwovers over the tank. And, uh, yeah, no drama at all, really. Mm-hmm. Are we sure? No, not anything? off the bike. I mean, no. you can tell people have unzipped things no, and have yeah, had a look inside, and, but not, not taken anything. And we parked, had to park in the street outside a hotel in India and the bike was just surrounded by a million people until we put the cover on it. And they walked away. Yeah. 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 Uh, Nothing yeah. to see. It's just like the Harry Potter, inv- Harry Potter invisibility cloak. Oh, they just right. didn't care about it anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, I, I know riders um, who have left their bikes unattended in a potentially dodgy place and not cable things down, not put a bike cover on. And when they've gone back to the bike, then things have gone. Important things are that. And when I heard, you know, that um, this had happened to the guys, I just thought, oh, were your spidey senses not tingling like mad? Mm. Um, shifty mm. characters on the street yeah. and, you know, dodgy looking people. And, um, yeah, well, I mean, if that's the case, then at least one of you stays with the bike while the other one goes to do whatever needs to be done. Or yeah. you just don't park there. Find somewhere else. Yeah, like Michelle said, don't tempt them. You know, don't, yeah. don't tempt yes. it. But the fact is that it doesn't happen very often. And um, if, you, if you're not tempting them, you're doing your best and you, you feel comfortable that you're not leaving something that is irreplaceable or too expensive to, I mean, you shouldn't take it with you in my, my thought process. You shouldn't take it with you if it is, you know, yeah. don't, don't make it some, something uh, object that you're going to take is going to make or break your trip. I would like Michelle though, it says you, you've got a GPS and that, that sort of thing, but you take that just, with you. Don't leave them on the bike. Yeah. But if you're going hiking and you're going to have to carry your GPS, you're going to have to carry your camera, mm. your passport, your credit cards, all the things of value that are on the bike. That's a tank bag. For the one. hotel option is is looking pretty good to me. No, I think it's a really yeah. good point because I hadn't thought of that, but that's a really good point. Though, if there, if there are places you want to go and you're thinking that might be uh, dodgy in Sam's words, then you know, yeah, then find another place to leave it. Don't take it with you to begin with. There's always a risk. There's a risk. Sorry. I was just going to say, Jim, you know, you're talking about buying cheaper things rather than taking top of the range, but you can have a really cheap helmet. But if someone pinches your helmet, that's a real good point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a dangerous issue. Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. then have to get from wherever you are to somewhere where you can get another helmet without wearing a helmet. No, I was just thinking it was one of those considerations. So one of those things you're considering, like do your due diligence, lock things up the best you can, cover the bike, and then also have in your mind that if something does go wrong, okay, you know, it's within your range to replace it. You know, it hasn't taken something that that's going to ruin your trip because whatever kind of trip you're on, because it's so expensive or hurt so much that it's so expensive. I just think those things are, mm-hmm. we all understand there's a certain risk anytime we, we do things like this. 
And if there is a risk, you got to think about it. You know, can I afford this risk? Can I take the chance? And then if you really can't and you have to have this thing, well, maybe you've got to find some other way to explore the thing. Maybe at that point, you know, you leave your bike at the hotel, like Shirley's saying, and find transportation, get somebody to drop you off or something. I don't know. Something yeah. like that. But it, it, take, you take the bike, Jim, but you just leave everything other than your helmet. And if you've got hard cases, this is becoming quite a point really, isn't it, Jim? <laughs> if you've got hard cases, you can put your helmets as a rule inside your hard cases, lock them. And, and then go for your stroll down. Yep, that's right. And then go for your stroll down the beach and have a swim or go for a hike in the forest, whatever. And um, chances are everything will be there when you get back because you've got hard cases. <laughs> can, I, can I change the subject here, Jim? Because you've obviously been picked on here, and quite rightly so, but I'm moving rapidly on. Um, does everybody know what size crash helmet they wear? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know what size my head is, so I mean, I can find a helmet to fit. <laughs> I know what brand and size I am in several brands. Okay. The reason I'm asking. Yeah, that's is- it. It's different, isn't it, Grant? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Exactly. Um, a, a chap I know did get his helmet pinched off his bike, um, and he managed to um, to hunt around, but and he found somewhere that would actually deliver him a crash helmet to the car park that he was in. Mm. Wow! The problem was he couldn't remember what size crash helmet he had. Oh, <laughs> so he had to buy three. Yeah. <laughs> well, fortunately, this particular dealership um, sent him out three different sizes with their delivery wow. guy. They just took pity on him. Nice. But it's a tiny little moral of the story there is know what size helmet you wear. Right. Yeah. So you should really like consider getting a tattoo that tells your blood type and your helmet size. <laughs> yeah. And put it on top of your head. Exactly. It's going to be really obvious. <laughs> Forehead, definitely, because then yeah. you can read it in the mirror. But have it printed back to front so that you are yeah. looking yeah. at the mirror the right way around. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you, Shirley. <laughs> voice of reason. Speaking of voice of reason, I wanted to make a final comment on Affen's comment that he said, start thinking whether it would be simpler and more beneficial to use a car instead of a motorcycle. I think it's important to come to the point where you accept that you've made a decision on how you want to travel, motorcycle, car, whatever, but in this case, motorcycle, and you accept the pluses and minuses of that mode of travel and roll with it. There will always be trade-offs. I think that's really important. And sometimes we do car trips because we don't want to have the hassle of the motorcycle or we'll take an airplane or whatever works. And I think whatever works is a mantra of all travelers that you eventually come to do whatever works. So, yep, you've made a choice on a motorcycle. There's trade-offs, there's negatives, but there's also those lovely pluses cruising down the highway on a beautiful day and enjoying the breeze and smelling the creek as you drive over it and all the good things about riding a motorcycle. Yes, there's negatives. Live with it. That's a good point. Okay, well, we'll wrap it up with that because I think that's a a good final out unless somebody wants to up Grant and top him on that. (laughs) Go for it. (laughs) So we have no takers then. Okay, so let's move into plugs, shall we? Let's move into plugs. And I'm going to start with, um, I'm going to start with Shirley. What do you have, Shirley? Well, I don't have a plug, Jim. I I just don't want to surprise you by having a plug. But what I do want to do is send a cheerio to all those travellers who are going to spend um, the Christmas holiday season, whatever you refer to it as in your part of the world, away from family and friends. Um, Our lovely Lala Barlow, who um, heard my last shout out to her, 
is in Valparaiso at a campground for Christmas with a whole lot of other travellers. It'll be a different Christmas from one you'll spend at home, but it'll be just spectacular as well with wonderful, wonderful memories. So enjoy the Christmas season, the festive season, the holiday season, wherever you are. Nice. Well done. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Yeah, nice. Brian? Um, yeah, I've got a couple. Uh, firstly, yeah, I, I echo Shirley's comments, as we all do, of course. Um, on the 19th of January, there's a ride day at Broadford uh, Motorcycle Sports Centre, which has got uh, a tarmac track, a speedway track, a uh, trail bike riding sort of track. It's a great day out. I'll probably be going down there, and that's a 19th. Sorry? Sorry, sure. Um, <laughs> Brian, that was obviously not one that you prepared earlier. Uh, no. Clearly not. Uh, I've got this little thing that I'm trying to work out if I can prep it for period four racing. So I need to go and have a bit of a look. Goodness so I'll be, uh, I'll be going down there to have a bit of, bit of a look. And um, another good one, and I, I know it's a, a fair way out, April, uh, but it's um, the All Brit Rally, which is at a little place called Newstead, which is only about 20 kilometres from where we live. It is a great, great rally, and it's um, open to all sorts of motorcycles, but they have a fenced-off area specifically for British uh, motorcycles. And um, if you register to camp there, they always have a door prize. And the door prize last year was a Triumph Sprint motorcycle that they'd prepped, a, a classic bike. And this is is a BSA A65 Lightning, I think it is, um, to camp out there. And it's a great event. So um, get your calendars out and plan for April the 27th and 28th. Great event. So near my two plugs. All right, good. And you have links for those you're going to send for the show notes? Uh, I can send you the link for the yeah, yeah for both of those. Yep, no okay. problem. Perfect. Okay, uh, Grant, what do you have? Well, I've got a couple of things. First off, um, circumnavigation. We have a circumnavigator's list of people who've done round-the-world trips. And I just got an email from somebody who has added themselves to the list. We are super excited to end up in the HU list. All our heroes are listed there and sharing with something with them feels like an amazing achievement. And at the moment, we're trying to go back to the old life, but it's quite difficult. We may just need to leave for the next adventure. Hmm. I thought that was really a nice thing. Um, just the way he feels about it and the fact that he's among his heroes. I think that's really mm -hmm. cool. So mm -hmm. if you are, if you've done around the world, check out the Horizons Unlimited circumnavigators list. And I'll make this really easy too. Instead of giving you the full long URL, hub.to slash RTW will take you there. Hub.to slash RTW. That's it. Nice and simple. Okay. Hub.to? TO is Tonga. <laughs> okay. But <laughs> when did it become hub.to? Well, Horizon, the full URL is https colon slash slash triple dub dot horizonsunlimited dot com slash circumnavigators. Or you Say can use hub.to. 
Okay, I get it. So it's a shortened URL. Okay, I get it's it. It's a shortened URL. That's fine. So, yeah, yeah. You can actually use that anywhere on HU for all of the URLs. Hub.to slash anything will take you there. Oh, okay. Instead of typing out horizonsunlimited.com. You learn something but, every day. Get on the Circuit Navigators list. I think these, this couple was on two 1,200 GSs, and they're number 331 and 332. So there's lots of people on there. There's little pictures and all the rest of it, and you can sort it and have a look and see who's done what. It goes right back to the very beginning, old uh, Clancy. And if you've done around the world, why aren't you on it? Check so, it out. So some other people have done it then. There's a oh, few people. just a few. There's a few people there. <laughs> Michelle, before you bob away on that boat, what do you have? Yeah, that's right. Well, I've got kind of a bunch of uh, odds and ends, if you don't mind, for just a second. No. Um, randomly off topic, I just wanted to mention that I was really missing my motorcycle in South Africa because I went for a drive on uh, the Chapman's Peak Road. And I have to say, for a future conversation, I'm just curious to know if any of our uh, fellow panel members or listeners have ridden that because it looks like an amazing ride. Mm. Um, so shout out to South Africa for having a gorgeous road. Um, I wanted to mention too, since we were talking earlier about cooking, um, Simon and Lisa Thomas wrote a book um, a few years ago called Dirty Dining. And that's a great resource if anybody's looking for recipes or ways to cook and, and kind of just th thinking creatively about cooking in camp with a motorcycle. So that might be a nice book to check out. Top tip. And then lastly, um, really just kind of a, a plug to all of our listeners to say thank you and happy holidays. Safe travels for any of you who are out on the road or just traveling to see loved ones or for the holidays. But thank you so much for listening and, and making this so much fun for all of us. We appreciate you and happy holidays. Thank you, Michelle. Well said. Yeah, and it is coming up. We're coming up to the end of the year, obviously turning over a new year. Wow, it's exciting. And, and I guess, uh, well, we're, we're starting uh, for next year for Adventure Rider Radio. It's year 10, and I believe it's year eight for Raw. And we're coming up uh, soon on the 100th episode of Raw. So we'll have to have something in the works for that. Wow. We'll talk about Sam, I'm going to get to you, but first I'm going to go back to Grant, because I think, Grant, you have one more? Yes, I do. Uh, a lot of people may not realize that in Canada, and this is only a valid interest for Canada, uh, the motorcycle shows, everybody knows, went away during COVID, but they're back. And this year, all across Canada, there's a new special section of interest to our listeners. It's called Explore, and it's all about motorcycle travel, adventure riding, all that kind of stuff. And it's a whole new section. So check, check that out. Come to the show. I expect to be in the Explore section at the Vancouver show if all goes well. And we've got HU people in Edmonton and Calgary. And I think there'll be somebody there in Montreal as well. So it should be well worth seeing. These are 4,000 to 6,000 square foot sections. It's not a little tiny corner of the show. It's a big, big deal. So check mm -hmm. that out. That's at every show? Every Canadian show. Oh, that's interesting. That's that's exciting on, and great to yeah. hear. Like a, a show expanding. Very nice. Yes, and especially with into this adventure riding, adventure motorcycle travel section. I mean, I've been trying to get them to do it for years, and finally they're doing it. So, very oh, cool. That's great. Sam, how about you? Oh, well, um, you know me, I'm a big kid, and I just love this time of year, um, just because of the fun 
um, because it's not a time of avarice for so many people and it is a wonderfully caring, sharing time. And I'd just like to have a, a little think moment um, for all of those people who are going to be working over Christmas, um, over the holiday season, um, to take care of our needs as individuals. Um, the medics, the fire people, the ambulance drivers, care home workers, those who are making sure the power gets to us and all of that sort of stuff. Um, I'd also like to, to do a, a shout out for everybody who's been working um, to raise money for um, to make people's lives better this Christmas, be that with toy runs or um, working to get food and gifts to, to struggling families or doing such things as um, taking warm clothes out to those who are struck in extremely cold situations in countries like Ukraine. Um, a shout out to, um, to a mate of mine, Steve, who's actually um, just about to get to the border with, with Ukraine at the moment. Um, a shout out to all of those who are actively working on behalf of those struggling in war-torn countries um, this time of year. We need to be thinking about people who are battling there. And also, you know, just a little thank you to everybody who makes a point of dropping some money in a street beggar's bowl. Um, it doesn't take much, but it is this time of year where sharing is just such a wonderful thing to do. And also a shout out to everybody who listens to Adventure Rider Radio Raw. It's really nice um, that you can join us around uh, around the, at the kitchen table, as it's been described to me by so many people. So um, Merry Christmas, everybody. And thank you for your friendship and support over the year. Cheers. Well, thank you so much. I mean, it's great comments. And, and um, yeah, I, I agree. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's great that we're able to do this. I love sitting down and talking with you guys. And, and uh, we're closing out another year doing something that is just so much fun to do each month. Thank you, everyone that listens to the show. And thank you guys for all you put into the show. It's great to sit down and talk with you. I love doing this. I, I always finish this feeling great and sort of wound up. I have trouble getting going to bed afterwards because um, it's just so much fun to do. Thank you very much. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Thank you, Jim. It's you do privilege. an amazing Thank job. You, Jim. Right. Thanks, Jim. Great You're year. great man. And to Beth. Yeah. Yep. Thank Too you. Right. Yes. Cheers, everyone. Merry Christmas, you guys. Merry Christmas. Cheers, everybody. Bye. And have, Merry, a, have a great holiday. Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas, everyone. Well, that wraps things up for this month's ARR Raw. And thank you to my co-host, Sam Manicom, starting with Sam Manicom. He lives in the UK. He's got four books and audiobooks that follow his eight-year motorcycle journey around the world. His website, sam-manicom.com. Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are from Australia. They also have published their own books on motorcycle travel. You can buy them wherever you get eBooks at their website, aussiesoverland.com.au. Michelle Lampfair is a moto traveler that also has a couple of great moto travel books, The Butterfly Route and Tips for Traveling Overland in Latin America. Both of those titles available on Amazon. As well, she has a motel for us motorcyclists and anyone else called the Chalet Motel. You can find out more about that at chaletmotelcuster.com. And of course, Grant Johnson is from Horizons Unlimited, which is the hub, literally, for our adventure motorcycling community. Horizons Unlimited has tons of up-to-date travel information, as well as a huge forum of dedicated travelers that connect you with other travelers. They also put on the hub meets around the world. You can see a worldwide list of hub meets at their website, horizonsunlimited.com. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you for listening. Join us again next time. Oh, and don't forget, if you want to get uh, your question or a topic suggestion in here, drop by our website. You can also look at the show notes. I have some more information in here, adventureriderradio.com. 